Our scripture reading this morning is one that we're, is very common to us. In fact, we even had it in our Sunday school class this morning. It's taken from Luke 2, 1 through 7. If you're using one of the congregational Bibles, it's on page 1071. Luke 2, 1 through 7. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. May God bless the reading of his word. Listen, if I'd known then what I know now, there would have been room in my inn. Oh, hey, I would have given up my own bed. But I didn't know. How could I know, right? Bethlehem was so full of people. I mean, the government, they, they, you know, made everybody in the world go back to the hometown and register. You know, government has to have the money. Since nobody wants to stay with their in-laws, I'm full. I remember that day. We, um... We were full before dinner time, and now it's two, three hours after dinner when they show up. Talk about desperate. He, he was exhausted and scared, and she, oh, she was about to burst. And as they're approaching my place, I'm thinking in my head, I know what I'll say to them. I'll say, I'm sorry, we don't have room. But by the time they get there, they just stand for a minute, gather their thoughts. He looks down, he's thinking. I notice she winces ever so slightly in pain. And he looks at me and he says, please. That's all he said, please. Let me tell you a story. I'm five years old, right? I'm helping my mother set the table. I noticed that she has one too many plates. So I say to her, Ma, you got one too many plates. You know, and she says back to me, you never know who may show up. I look at her like, what? She walks over to me. She says, you never know who God may bring your way. You always make room. So... I look back at the couple and I say to them, I don't know where we'll put you, but we'll make room for you. And we did. It wasn't the nicest room, but it's all I had to give them. Mom was right. You always make room. All right, well... Let's give a, a round of applause for Matt and Meredith and baby Baylor. Wasn't that awesome to have them up here today? And uh, 
have to say, I mean, you may have a, a good actress on your hand there because the Christmas Carol says, no crying he made, and no crying she made. That's, she did exactly what she was supposed to do. That was awesome. We are, uh, you know, last week we kind of wrapped up a, a series that we had been doing for a while, Me and God, and kind of wrapped up on a Christmassy sort of note as we talked about the metaphor of God being our king. And today we kick off kind of a mini-series, just a couple of weeks here, where we're going to pick up kind of what we did last Christmas. Last Christmas we looked at the first Christmas as well, and some characters from that. We looked at um, Mary and Joseph, and we looked at Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, who also is in our accounts of, well, John the Baptist is in all of the Gospel accounts, but his mother is in a couple of them. And so we, we looked at that. Well, this year we start off by looking at a character that isn't actually really in Scripture. All that video we just watched is, is pretty creative license, we might say. But the person, this innkeeper, isn't named. It doesn't even say that there was an innkeeper, it just says inn. There was a, no room in the inn, so we figure there's somebody there keeping the inn, right? And so that's this innkeeper and, and there was no room for them and so this innkeeper has come to represent that there was no room for baby Jesus no room but some room was made and we're going to look at that today you know when I was in uh, well you know you, you're born you grow up you live with your folks and you and you can only accumulate a little bit of stuff because you've got a little room and a little closet and, and you've got a little bit of stuff. Well, then the day comes to move to college. In my case, I moved 11 hours away from Las Cruces, New Mexico to Oklahoma City, Oklahoma and took my bright red two-door Jeep Cherokee. Beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> Shiny wheels. I got Anyway, okay. So... <laughs> I took this car and I, I loaded it up with all my earthly belongings and then a few that I'd bought just for dorm life. You know, you have to buy a few essentials when you're moving that far away from home. You know, it's not like you can run home on the weekend when you're 11 hours away, right? So everything that I needed, all my worldly possessions in the back of the Jeep got out there to the dorm. I remember, you know, because if you leave Las Cruces, New Mexico, all roads lead to a Border Patrol stop. <laughs> And there's checkpoints on the highways that go out of, of Las Cruces. And their job, the, the Border Patrol agent stands there and, and the cars come through in a line and you stop. And they say, hello, how are you today? And you say, doing fine. And they say, have a good day. And that's the routine. And they're looking for anything that looks suspicious. You know, like, uh, you know, if, you, if your car looks extra heavy and you can't speak English, they're going to take a look probably, you know. It's just things like that that they're looking for. And they're trained. They know what to look for. Well, apparently one of the things that they look for is cars that are loaded to the hilt, right? And so um, they didn't give me too much trouble. But it definitely was an eyebrow raiser when I pulled up in my bright red Jeep Cherokee that you couldn't even see through the windows because it was packed to the ceiling, right? And so he's kind of looking. I told him my story, you know, because he asked what is going on. And I said, well, I'm going to college. And so he kind of took a look around and decided that I must be telling the truth or else I was just crazy. So 
you take all your stuff, you move it into a dorm, you know, and the dorm rooms, you know, they're not known for being large, are they? Well, after college, I moved into an apartment with a friend. And from apartment to apartment, and you, you get a little more room in an apartment, right? And, and so you start accumulating some more stuff. And, and by the time that you get from, that I decided to move from Oklahoma City as a teacher to Springfield, Missouri as a worship pastor, I had to rent a U-Haul, all right? It wasn't the biggest U-Haul, it was just a regular old U-Haul truck, and, and I hauled all my stuff up to Springfield, Missouri. And then, uh, you know, I thought my apartment was pretty comfortable, but then I got married, and, and Julie lived in Oklahoma, and so on the weekend trips where we'd visit her family, we would come back inevitably with more than we left with, because we slowly accumulated all of her worldly belongings into our little apartment, so that by the time that we moved from our apartment into a house, a little three-bedroom house, well, it was quite an undertaking. It was, it was pretty involved, right? So we, it, but we had some space there, right? Okay, fast forward another five or six years, and we're moving down here. After seven years of ministry there, and five or so years in a house, and we had to get the biggest U-Haul truck that they make, plus several car loads, it, it was bothersome. I did not realize we had accumulated this much stuff. But this is what happens, right? When you have room, you fill it with something. That's what we do. And, and you've probably experienced your own story like that in some way, shape, or form. And this is why I don't want to... Well, okay, the real reason I don't want a mansion is because I can't afford a mansion. But the other reason I wouldn't want a mansion is simply because I wouldn't want that much stuff. I mean, you have to fill that with something, don't you? And, and I mean, I just can't... What would you, if you had to move then to another mansion, how many U-Haul trucks would that take? Whew. But we have this tendency of when we have a little bit of room, we pack it with stuff. It just gets filled with stuff. Right now, we're trying to sort out how we're making a nursery out of our catch-all room, you know. It was our guest room, you know, but you know what the guest room is. When you don't have that many guests coming over, it's just the where everything goes room. And so now we're like, well, where's everything going to (laughs) go to make room for this baby? And so we all deal with this. And we deal with it not just in our houses. We deal with it in our calendars. Man, you get a little bit of room in your calendar. We've got to fill it with something. We've got to be doing something. Not going to be just sitting around bored. We've got to fill it with something. We do it with our budgets. You know, if it, you, you get a raise, you figure out something to do with that money, don't you? <laughs> you, know, you get a bonus, hey, where'd it go? We figure out something to do with any room in our budget. We do this with everything in our lives. Find a little bit of room, we fill it with something. Is this a problem? Is it a problem that our lives stay packed beyond their capacity in most cases? Or maybe it just matters what we fill it with. That's what the innkeeper is going to challenge us with today. We read that passage that ended by saying they laid Jesus in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. And we just talked about how you know, it doesn't name the innkeeper by name. But he's been in our 
Christmas stories in our nativities for so long, right? All the Christmas pageants that kids do. And, and he's come to represent this idea of this town was so full. There was no room. But this guy, this innkeeper, he made a little bit of room. Maybe not the room we know in retrospect that Jesus deserved, but he made some room. You know, we're actually not sure of much about this innkeeper. In fact, we're not even for sure that that word in meant a literal in. That word is one of those words, some of those words that get translated, you know, that it's hard to know how to translate them because it's an old, old language and, and none of us are ancient Greek or ancient Jews. I don't think any of you are. You don't look at... But, you know, we, this is how we read it. Uh, no room for them in the inn. But that word inn, you know, can also be guest room, things like that. A place where someone stays when they're from out of town. So it could have even been at their in-laws, right? They said something about, no one wants to stay with their in-laws, so they come to the inn. Well, you know, it could have been that there was no room for them in their family's guest room. In fact, the, I noticed that the most recent version of the NIV says there was no guest room available for them. So we don't know if, if this guy, the innkeeper, you know, if the way we play it out in our pageants was exactly the way that it was, you know, where they're knocking and, and he says, sorry, there's no room for you, you can stay out back, you know, and, and we've, we've created that narrative and we don't know if it's, that's exactly how it played out. But there's a lot that we do know and we know that this, this character, this innkeeper, represents a truth from this story, this Christmas story. We know that Bethlehem was this little town south of Jerusalem, just a few miles. It's the town from which King David came from. And, and so that's kind of its claim to fame. Beyond that, not much to Bethlehem. It was a long ways from where Joseph was living in Nazareth. So it was a long journey for them to come and be a part of this census. And apparently they showed up last <laughs> because there was no more room. And we, like I say, we don't know if they, they were looking for an end. I mean, chances are, if that's his hometown, if that's where he's from, he's got some kind of relatives there. You know, and in those days you might say, blessed are those that didn't move away from their hometown, right? And didn't have to make that journey and they could just stay in their homes and and of course then they had to, not too blessed because then they had to put up all the relatives that came from, that had moved away and so you know there's just a, a lot going on but for whatever reason when they get there there's no room for them and so they're put in some kind of stable something they're put somewhere and they don't have a crib for them they just have a manger they make some room This is what we know about the innkeeper. This is what we know about this aspect of the Christmas narrative. It just leads me to think, do we have room for Jesus? You know, I mean, Bethlehem, they 
to their, you know, to their credit, to their, for their excuse, you know, they didn't know. They didn't know. Maybe they should have known. They didn't know. Maybe if they had known, surely if they had known that this was their long-awaited Messiah, their king, they would have made some better room. They would have found some better place. Surely there was somewhere in town that would have been better conditions. But they didn't know. But what's our excuse today when we fail to make room or adequate room or the kind of room that a king deserves. I mean, our Christmases even. even you know, do we even make room for Jesus in our Christmases? Our Christmases get so full, don't they? With parties and parties and, you know, more parties and shopping and shopping and more shopping. And, and uh, I pity all those who do not shop online. I don't know how you do it. You know, you think more people shop online than ever before. You would think that then holiday traffic would die down in proportion to the number of things being bought online. You know, less people having to go out. And yet, if you by chance venture out <laughs> during this season, whew, say a prayer. <laughs> right? I saw Barbara posted yesterday. I said, have you lost your mind? Because she just this terrible traffic jam that she was in. You just don't go near the mall on a Saturday between Thanksgiving and Christmas. It's just unwise unless it's an emergency. (laughs) I assume you had an emergency. We went on a Friday. It was crazy. I thought, aren't they in school or something? (laughs) Aren't they at work or something? You know, I I thought I was being sneaky. Coming out, like, nope, you you can't outthink them. We fill up our lives, even at Christmas, until there's so much to do for the holidays that there's not even very much room for the reason for the season, right? And it makes you wonder about the rest of our lives. You know, I was, as I was thinking about this, it just came to mind that it seems like, as we talked about, you know, we fill up our lives and, and there's this sense in our culture that a full life is a fulfilling life. That you don't have a life unless you're busy doing something. That, you know, your self-worth, your importance is based on how full your life is. How, how much stuff do you have going on, right? And if you're very busy, if, if people ask, how are you doing? Oh, we're busy. Well, that means, you know, you're, you're doing some stuff. You're, you must be important. You, you're important to somebody. You filled your life up with a lot of stuff. You've got things going on. You're being productive, whatever the case may be. But a full life does not mean a fulfilling life. And we know this is true. As we see people with very full lives that crash and burn all the time. We see people with very full lives that attempt suicide because they don't feel fulfilled. So we know that a full life does not mean a fulfilling life. And I want to suggest to you that the more room we make for Jesus, the more fulfilling your life will be. Carve out some more room. Maybe it doesn't matter so much how full your life is as it matters what you fill your life with. And I just want to ask you, 
to consider what message are we sending to our culture when we as Christians fill our lives up with so much stuff the way everybody else does so that we end up having very little room for Jesus. At best he gets a compartment of our lives. But Jesus was never meant to be contained in a compartment of our lives. He transcends compartments into every aspect of our life and he wants us to make room for him. What message are we sending to our friends that don't know Christ when we don't make room for Jesus? What message are we sending? You know, if you're at a dating stage, what message are you sending for your future marriage someday? When you don't make room in your relationships, in your dating relationships, or in your marriages for Jesus. Those of us who have kids, or we have grandkids, you know, what message do we send when we fill up our lives with so much stuff? Good stuff, right? We've got, that's maybe the problem, is we have so much good that it crowds out the great in our culture. So many good things. And we, you know, as parents, I see so many parents, they want to give their kids the best. I mean, that's what we all want, right? We want our kids to have more opportunities and better opportunities than what we had. And so, man, we want to afford them every opportunity. You know, if you're interested in this, yes, do that. If you're interested in that, let's do that. You want to do this sport? You want to do this other extracurricular thing? Yep, yep, we'll figure out a way to pay for it. We'll figure out how to get there. We'll do it, we'll do it, we'll do it. Because we want you to have every opportunity to succeed in this life. What about Jesus? What about the greatest opportunity of all? Does he get crowded out sometimes by all the other good stuff that we want our kids to do? I mean, if we, if we make it to every single ball game, every single concert, we're always there for our kids. But we don't have time for Jesus. What message have we sent to our kids about what's most important? We have to be careful how we order the priorities in our lives. And we have to question sometimes. because Remember, our culture is not concerned about making room for Jesus. And when they make the schedules for the concerts and the extracurricular stuff and all the ball games, they're not worried about Jesus when they make the schedule. They're not worried about Jesus when they plan the practice times. They're not worried about Jesus when they plan the umpteen things for your kids to do and the opportunities for them. They're just creating opportunities for your kids. You've got to be worried about making room for Jesus if you want your kids to see that that is the first priority in your family's life and that it should be the first priority for your life. So how do we do it? How do we make room in our homes for Jesus, in our family lives for Jesus, in our calendars. How do we do it? I mean, you know, there's the old saying that people kick around of, when I was growing up, we were in church every time the doors were 
hoping. There's a whole generation coming up that will not say that. And that's not necessarily the whole problem. Because, frankly, you can go to church every time the doors are open and still not get that God is the priority. It doesn't always work out right. I mean, there's a lot of pastors' kids, right, who were there every time the doors were open. That church work was a huge priority. And yet somehow it didn't get through to them that God was the ultimate priority. They were just busy going to church all the time. Somehow the pastor never made time for his family. He just consumed it with church work. So church work is not the answer. You know, I'm not here to tell you, well, you know, you need to be in church every time the doors are open, serving, saying yes to every opportunity. That's not it either. We just, all across the board, in our homes, I mean, church is part of it. But across the board, we have to make room for Jesus. If they see that you make church the priority all the time, but you never talk about God at home, what message does that send? How have you made room for Jesus then? It has to be something that, again, Jesus does not do compartments. He transcends compartments. He's not just at church. He needs to be in our homes as well, doesn't he? And so, we've got to make room for Jesus in our homes We need to make room for Jesus in our calendars and in our budgets. In our budgets. We don't live in a world that likes budgets anymore. I don't even like budgets. (laughs) They're a pain. But whether you write out your budget or not, your financial budget gets packed full. I know because we're Americans. That's what we do. We pack it full. But we've got to make room for Jesus in our budgets as well. Because if we pack our budget so full of monthly payments, then suddenly there's no room to be generous. There's no room to respond to extra things like this Christ's birthday offering that we'll talk about today that goes towards missions and things like that. That Opportunities come up. Jesus puts someone on your heart or some need on your heart or asks you to partner in some kingdom ministry, and the money's not there because you've got it tied up in non-Jesus stuff. This happens to us because we fill up. There's a little bit of room. We've got to fill it up with something. But we've got to make room in our budgets for Jesus. And we've got to make room in our churches as well. That probably sounds funny. If there's room for Jesus anywhere, surely it's at church. But I guarantee you there are plenty of churches that are so busy doing church that they don't have much time for Jesus. So busy going through the motions and doing all the religious stuff that we've got to do and have the doors open for this and we've got to have this event and that event and this program and that program and they get stretched so thin and all of a sudden there's little room for actually spending time with Jesus. This is why I think one of the biggest things we've got to do as a church is get serious about prayer as a church. Both in this place and out of this place. Prayer is where we spend time with God. There's, when you're praying, you know, there's no fancy teaching. There's no fancy videos. There's no amazing music to hold our attention. And we're a attention-holding kind of society. You've got to hold my attention. We've got, as the people of God, to make room for Jesus and learn to make room for Jesus. And that starts with learning to pray again. 
to really pray. Not just gimme, gimme, gimme kind of prayers. Not even just help them and help them and help them kind of prayers, but spiritual prayers. Prayers for the kingdom. Prayers that echo and learn about the heart of God for our world. And for people's lives. We've got to make things like our We Pray Nights into a priority. It's a different kind of night. It's a different kind of moment to just be still and prayerful for an hour. But if we're not willing to carve out some time for Jesus, what's the point of the other stuff? When we have our times of prayer in here, are we just listening to someone else pray? Or are we engaging in prayer. When we sing those songs, those are opportunities for you to, it's a, that's a kind of prayer. We're singing to God and we're listening hopefully as well. There's this story I heard about a Christmas program that a church did with the kids. You know, you get the kids up there and, and uh, it's kind of a nerve-wracking thing for everyone, you know, the parents, but especially the teachers that put something like that together, you know, you just don't know when the train might derail at any moment. And uh, there was one kid at this particular church, his name was Alf, and he was a little bit, um, well, I think they described him as, as thicker in head and tongue than average. And he just bumbled all the lines, made a wreck of all the scenes. It was just a rough deal whenever Alf was involved in anything like this. But he desperately wanted to be part of this Christmas play. And so what are you going to do? you got to find something for him. So they made Alf the innkeeper. And they told him, All you say is go away with a big swing of your arm. And then you shut the door. That's all you got to do. If you can just get that one thing right. And so they practiced and they practiced and they practiced. He seemed to have it down. The night of the program comes. Alf's scene is approaching. The teachers are getting nervous. Mary and Joseph approach and they knock on the door. Alf opens with a gruff look on his face. And he says, Go away! Slams the door shut. Teachers go, Oh, we made it. Mary and Joseph start to walk away. The door creaks open again. (laughs) They turn and look, and Alf's got tears streaming down his face, and he says, Come back, come back. You can have my room. Isn't that sweet? You can have my room. Will you make room for him today? Let's pray. Father, thank you for coming. We need you desperately, Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, for not leaving us alone, but for coming near. And Lord, we want to make room for you in our lives today. Holy Spirit, help us make room for you in our every day, in our every moment.
in our everything, God. Every aspect of our lives. Teach us to make more room for you. Help us not to fill our lives with so much good stuff that we miss out on the best of all. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.